0: we mm-hmm. said it couldn't be done. Or maybe it was that it shouldn't be done. But uh, here we are with the 51st episode of X-Lapsed, which puts us officially on the road to 100. I might be getting a little bit ahead of myself, but uh, hey, fingers crossed. Uh, This is Chris, by the way. Same guy as always. Uh, Like I said, it's episode 51, and we've got us a giant-sized episode today because we are looking at... The uh, giant Size X-Men: Jean Grey plus Emma Frost, number one, and this had an April 2020 cover date. We're gonna hop right into it because we got well, we got some stuff to talk about. It's called Into the Storm. Story and words Jonathan Hickman. Story and art Russell Dodderman or Dowderman. Colors Matthew Wilson. Letters VCs Clayton Cowles. Designs Tom Muller. Edits Be So White Zabalski. Special thanks. To Grant Morrison and Frank Whiteley? Huh, I wonder what that's all about. Cover price, $4.99, went on sale February 26th, 2020. Okie doke, well, uh, (laughs) this one might be a little, uh, a little difficult to say a whole lot about. Um, you know, I've joked a time or two, or five or six, about whatever episode we're doing being potentially the shortest ever. But, uh... If we just go by content here, uh, well, we might actually have that today. Uh, I'm trying to load this episode up with other things, but uh, as far as the cover-to-cover cover here, eh, it's, uh, it's a little different. Now, uh, you might have noticed that I paid particular attention to the thank you and the credits to uh, Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely, and uh, how about we talk about that for a minute? Now, earlier this century, Morrison came on to X Men Volume 2. It was renamed New X Men and uh, pretty much turned the mutant world upside down for a minute. Uh, during his run, Marvel would have this weird itch to try enforcing a gimmick month onto their entire stable of books. Well, I mean, not those written by Kevin Smith, uh, because, I mean, you'll never know which month he's actually going to finish an issue, and also, Casada ain't going to worry about inconveniencing his superstar pal. Uh, The Ultimate books were left out of this uh, little mandate as well, probably as to not risk alienating actual new readers with a, uh, well, with a silly-ass gimmick. Um, Now, to properly introduce this gimmick, many of our minds might immediately go back to G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, number 21, that had a March 1984 cover date. It's called Silent Interlude, and it's an issue that featured, well, silence. No word balloons, no sound effects, no narration. And uh, this was such a weird thing that there was a long-standing rumor that this silent issue wasn't the original intention for the issue, and just that Marvel and Larry Hamma simply ran out of time and decided to make the best out of a bad situation. And this has since been debunked by Larry Hama. In an interview with Dwight John, D- John Zimmerman for David Anthony Craft's Comics Interview, Issue 37, Hamma would say the following. He said... I wanted to see if I could do a story that was real, a complete story, beginning, middle, end, conflict, characterization, action, solid resolution, without balloons or captions or sound effects. And that's exactly what he did. From here, we could jump, well, many years ahead, about a quarter century ahead, uh, to the turn of the century, where an issue of Deadpool paid homage to that classic G.I. Joe story. This is Deadpool number 42, July 2000 cover date, Silent but deadly interlude, by a handmaster Glenn Hurdling and Jim Calafiore, and this was similarly without words. And the cover logo, the Deadpool logo, even paid tribute to the G.I. Joe logo and read Deadpool, A Real American Zero. It was pretty well received as a novelty and a cute nod to a beloved, if not perhaps a hair overrated, Joe Story. We jump ahead again to late 2001, early 2002, and uh, there'd been a seat change at the top of Marvel. Bob Harris was given the boot, and he was replaced by the exciting tandem of Bill Jemis and Joe Quesada. And I say exciting with zero sarcasm intended. This was actually a very exciting time to be a Marvel fan, at least for me. I was very, very psyched about what they were going to bring to the table, and uh, very seldom did they disappoint. On that note, let's talk about uh, this gimmick, huh? Uh, Now, Marvel, never leaving well enough alone, decided to run something they called Nuff Said Month, which, as the name might imply, means that all of Marvel's book, with a few of those exceptions, had to run without words. Huh. And, I mean, if you weren't there for it, it probably sounds like a fun idea. Probably a neat experiment. But, oof, in practice... That was a less-than-ideal month to be following your favorite Marvel titles. Uh, I'm going to quote you something from Preview's catalog, Volume 11, Number 10, October 2001 cover date. A catalog that I damn near destroyed a closet trying to dig out because I am a horrible pack rat and I don't throw anything out, and I I keep things just for such an occasion as this. I probably haven't had to pull this book for 20 years now, and uh, I only held on to it for this day. So we're going to talk about the Nuff Said uh, little experiment here. Now, the previews mag says, They say a picture's worth a thousand words. They say it's deeds, not words that count. Well, this December, they won't be saying anything, because for the month of December, we've challenged our writers and artists to tell stories using visuals only. What? You think that's easy? That's only half the work? Try telling that to the scribes who had to come up with a story that couldn't use dialogue or captions to explain and further the plot. Try telling that to the pencilers who had to make sure that their storytelling was so clear that everyone could just look at the art and understand exactly what was happening. Both groups will tell you that this was probably more difficult than constructing a normal issue. And to give you insight into the creative process, each issue will be bumped up to 40 pages at no extra cost and will feature the plot that each artist had to draw. This is something very cool that gives us a chance to show off our craft, Joe Casada said. We're looking at these issues as a celebration of the art form of sequential storytelling. We're branching out and showing people the beauty of what it is we do with comics, that we don't necessarily always need words. I see this as a challenge to our artists to really get down to the craft, Joe added. It's even more of a challenge to the writers who have to think in that visual manner. But I know our guys are more than up to the challenge. So get ready to witness some amazing art which will make you exclaim... Nuff said. So you might be wondering which books had to play along with this uh, little mandate here, and I'll give you a list of them. We're not going to go into depth here. Maybe I'll do another like a weird a weird comics history sort of a show later on to uh, maybe go a little bit deeper into these uh, into what worked and what didn't with these uh, these stories we're going to discuss right now, or I'm going to list anyway. Exiles number 7 by Judd Winnick and Mike McCone. Uncanny X-Men, number 401, by Joe Casey and Ron Gawney, which uh, was uh, the one that they had to change at the last minute to take Banshee out of his SS costume. Cable, number 100, by David Tishman and Igor Cordy, and this was a 16-page backup story, not the entire issue. Extreme X-Men, number 8, by Chris Claremont and Salvador La Roca Deadpool, Funeral for a Freak, number 1, by Frank Thierry and Jim Calafiore. And uh, this was a... Uh, a little mini-series they ran inside the main Deadpool uh, volume. And uh, it was a riff on, uh, well, Funeral for a Friend, as, uh, as might be obvious. Wolverine number 171 by Frank Thierry and Sean Chen. And I'm forgetting how many of these books Frank Thierry got. I wonder, uh, I wonder if he had any friends in high places. Um, X-Force number 123 by Peter Milligan and Mike Allred. Spider-Girl number 41 by Tom DeFalco and Pat O'Leaf. Amazing Spider-Man No. 38 by J. Michael Straczynski and John Romita Jr. Peter Parker, Spider-Man No. 38 by Paul Jenkins and Mark Buckingham. Electra No. 6 by Brian Michael Bendis and Chuck Austin. Punisher number 7 by Steve Dillon and Jimmy Palmiotti. Daredevil number 28 by Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Maleev. Uh, Fantastic Four No. 50 by Carlos Pacheco, Raphael Martin, and Tom Grummett. And this is just the opening story of that extra-size issue. Thor, number 44, by Dan Juergens and Stuart Eminent. Black Panther, number 39, by Christopher Priest and Sal Valudo. Defenders, number 12, by Kurt Busiek, Eric Lawson, and Ivan Rees. Iron Man, number 49, by Frank Thierry and Chris Batista. Captain America, number 50, by Dan Juergens And this is the opening bit to that exercise story And it's a, basically a Captain America retrospective Almost a cheat Uh, Captain Marvel, number 26, by Peter David and Leonard Kirk. And this is the Janice Vell, Captain Marvel. Thunderbolts, number 49, by Fabian Niciesa and Mark Bagley. Avengers, number 49, by Kurt Busiek and Kieran Doyer. And New X-Men, number 121, by Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely. And this story was called Silence, Psychic Rescue in Progress. And the solicit from that very same previews catalog, you see, these... These are the reasons I hold on to garbage, so uh, maybe if the wife is listening, she can, uh, she'll can, she know that everything I do, I do for a reason. Now, the solicit says, Professor X lies in a coma on the edge of death. His powerful mutant brain has retreated into itself. In one last-ditch attempt to free him from this state, Jean Grey and Emma Frost telepathically journey into the realm of Xavier's mind, and the horrors they discover can truly not be described." Can the X-Men's founder be saved, or will Gene and Emma be consumed by his nightmares? Find out in silence. Psychic rescue in progress. So yeah, Gene and Emma futzing around in someone's mind, huh? Well, sounds so nice, why not do it twice? The solicit for the book we're about to discuss, Giant Size X-Men, Gene Gray plus Emma Frost, says the first of five essential X-Tales specially designed to showcase some of Marvel's best artists. First up, Russell Douderman, superstar artist of Thor and War of the Realms. When Storm is in danger, it's going to take two of the most powerful telepaths on Earth working together to make things right. Jean Grey and Emma Frost together again for the good of Krakoa. So, we set the table. How about we get into it? We start this issue with our roll call. Jean Grey, Emma Frost, Storm, Wolverine, Cyclops. Then, two pages of credits. Now, our story opens with a pair of young mutants flying around the shores of Krakoa. One of them spots something rather troubling. And it's Storm, and she's in a really bad way. Looks like she's KO'd and bleeding from the head. Next stop, I'm assuming it's the Healing Gardens. Above the entrance in Krakoan, it reads, Silence, Psychic Rescue in Progress just in case we weren't completely sure where this was heading. Emma and Jean prepare to do the thing, leaving Wolverine and Cyclops waiting for them by the doorway. After a swig from her flask, Emma's ready for some psychic action, and together, she and Jean get up close and personal with the KO'd Aurora. Now, upon entering her mind, they find themselves stood on like a veld, of sort of, of sorts, you know, before a large umbrella tree. In the sky above hovers Storm's illuminated headdress, the ground begins to shake a bit, or something. Jean and Emma head down a valley where they find a pair of big cats with their necks contorted to sorta of kinda of give the imagery of a yin yang, kinda. Uh, one of these big cats has a like a giant mane of white hair around its, you know, head and neck. The cats look our ladies up and down and wonder if they're to be considered friends. Jean manifests an image of she and Storm in an embrace, and the maned cat smiles broadly. Emma manifests an image of she and Storm in a uh, well, a less friendly sort of confrontation, and the cats don't dig that one bit. And so, suddenly, Emma finds herself overcome by giant serpents. A battle ensues for a couple of pages until Jean is able to intervene and eliminate the threat. The ladies then climb atop an elephant who uh, steals a page from Quinan's playbook and sprouts itself a set of butterfly wings. Now the elephant flies them back into the direction of, the un- of that giant umbrella tree, and the tree explodes into light. In the skies above, Storm's headdress remains, and Storm's face appears below it as though she's wearing it. Uh, the winds begin to pick up, obliterating the tree, and Emma and Jean are, Jean are still standing. Next, we know they're climbing up a spiral staircase, and they're surrounded by what uh, Reggie and I used to call Madness Paisleys back when we were discussing uh, Shade the Changing Girl. If anybody's, you know, been with me since then, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, the higher they climb, the more in disrepair these stairs become. They crumble, and it would appear that Jim and Emma begin to lose their con- concentration and their connection. And so they put their heads together, and they're able to reassemble the stairway out of the rubble. Reach in the top, and now they're back on a plane. Storm's headdress is still hovering, and on the ground is a giant gold ball, or egg. It cracks and hatches, revealing, I don't know, like a spillage of a honey-like fluid? And the honey, you know, it sort of forms words. It comes into the sky, to the air in front of them. And one of the words is metal with a question mark. The other one is machine with a question mark. Then a flower appears in the giant golden puddle. Jean and Emma look at each other, all incredulous, like. Before the latter shrugs her shoulders and gives the flower a big old tug. Jean decides to help out, and who uh, boy does this little flower have a massive root system? Finally, they pull the flower enough to create a sort of ring in this honey, from which Storm emerges. Now, Jean is overjoyed, and she rushes over to her friend. She places her hand on Aruro's face, and is shocked when Storm's skin actually comes back with her hand when she removes it. And this reveals like a metallic skull. Uh, Storm's kind of looking like a Terminator or something here. And along her metal skeletal forehead is a countdown timer that reads 29 days... 23 months, 55 minutes, and 46 seconds. Lightning crashes and forms the words, Save me. Jean and Emma embrace Storm, and everything goes to white. Now Back outside, Wolverine and Cyclops anxiously await the news. The silence light goes off, and Emma and Jean emerge from the gardens. Gene tells the fellas that the children of the vault, remember them Have given Storm a machine virus which will kill her within 30 days She closes out with a We Oughta Talk Which is another callback to the Morrison and Quietly inspiration And that is Giant Size X-Men, Colonel Gene Grey plus Emma Frost number one uh, Next episode we will be discussing Marauders number seven But first, let's try and parse this thing out so this is uh, basically everything we loved about the Morrison issue, with none of the seminal fluid, because uh, there was a lot of that in there. Um, it's, I mean, let's let's be real here. It's hard to make a mostly silent issue work, right? On that, I, I think we could probably all agree. Um, there are questions of how capable an artist is when it comes to having to shoulder the responsibility of telling the entire story. Because every panel needs to say something While actually not saying something, right? Uh, it's not something I'd be able to do I, I probably wouldn't even know where to start And so, like, retreading on the Morrison issue Is probably the best way to go about it If this had to be a thing that had to happen um, I guess this is the best way to do it uh, Now, even after reading, <laughs> for lack of a better term This issue several times over I, I mean... Despite the fact that it's a giant size It doesn't take all that long to flip through (laughs) I'm still not 100% sure what we just saw I mean, we know the resolution And the revelation And, uh, everything that got us there Was just, like, esoteric enough For us to just kind of shrug it off You know what I'm saying, I I would assume It's just I don't want to use the weird for weird's sake Because that's a a cop-out But, I mean, it was very esoteric Um Kind of boilerplate for, uh astral plane ish stuff, you know, the stairway spiral stairways to nothing and you know, we've seen this stuff before, but uh I guess this is, it feels like kind of a case of like if you can't dazzle them with brilliance, you baffle them with BS. You know. <laughs> the the astral plane or wherever it was that this story actually takes place is fair game for a weird story and, and an experimental story type as uh as this. So I guess in that regard it was it was a success. Yeah, maybe. I enjoyed it, for the most part. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the Morrison run, and it's neat seeing it revisited, Um, especially when we consider the amount of effort Marvel and Joe Quesada personally put into burying it as soon as Grant walked back across the street to DC Comics back in the mid-2000s. That said, however, you know me. I worry about things that really don't matter, and uh, things that have absolutely nothing to do with creative. So here... I sit uh, with a mostly wordless book in my lap. And it's one that comes with a $5 cover price. Now, I didn't pay 5 bucks for this. I ordered it from DCBS, so I snagged it for under, five, under 3 bucks. I couldn't imagine plopping a $5 bill on the counter to get this, uh, getting it home, sitting with it for the under five minutes it takes to flip through, and then feeling satisfied. I, I can't imagine that. Um... I mean, you can kind of lampshade this Due to the fact that it is an homage Right? Um, but, like Hasn't Marvel spent the better part of the last decade Telling the sort of fan who would understand the callback That they're, they're like, That these books aren't being written for them anymore, right? It's like, you've been driving the people Who would get this reference away And here we are with the reference It's like one of those, you know, cake, eat it, have it <laughs> What are you gonna do situations Um Let me try to put a pin in that We'll get out of the weeds And let's talk about the story. Starting with the question, when in the hell does this story happen? Is this storm infected by the Children of the Vault plot only going to occur in these five size specials? If that is the case, well, uh, that's a pretty big ask from the readership, isn't it? I mean, that's not only a $25 story... But it's one that's like purposely on the fringes of all the Dawn of X stuff that's going on, right? It, that sort of thing makes it feel, to me, like it's inconsequential. It could easily be ignored. I could be wrong, you know, but it feels like a... Hey, if you're buying the Xbox, you might as well buy this too. You don't have to, but you could. Whereas if this was a story that was meant to have uh, big ramifications, it would probably be happening in X-Men. I don't know. Plus, if I'm remembering right, though given the year we've just had happen to us, uh, I might be remembering wrong I think these giant size releases were somewhat sporadic No? I mean, like a couple of months be- would pass in between them uh, I could be misremembering, um, I just don't feel like these were regular releases I feel like... I-, I get my books once a month and I feel like there were like several months where I didn't get one of these But I could be wrong, I- this has been a hell of a year, so... These could have been monthly for all I know. I could have checked. I probably should have checked, but I didn't. Uh, Now, if I'm able to block out the question of when this was, it's an okay little ditty, right? I mean, it's not bad. Again, I struggle with the fact that it has a hefty price tag, but that's just the cost of doing business anymore. Um, Basically, you know, comics, Marvel, and DC, if it's not a normal, everyday issue... It's going to be at least five bucks. And that sucks, but that's hardly the fault of this book in particular. Uh, the fact that this storm story is happening outside the main books makes it feel disposable. And uh, it lowers the already tiny stakes. I mean, let's remember where we are, right? Let's remember what what the, the playing field you know, gives us in, in Dawn of X here. Worst case scenario, storm dies in 30 days. Then 30 minutes later, she pops out of an egg. So not a whole lot of urgency there, right? (laughs) I mean... I I don't know how you can hinge an entire story on this when it really... It doesn't seem to matter all that much. Um, We can go through five size issues, have Storm still die, or we can go through these five size issues and then have Storm die in an issue of Marauders that has nothing to do with this, and then be brought back. She could be brought back twice by the time this ends. So it's... I don't know, it's hard for me to, it's really hard for me to invest, That's what I'm trying to say. Overall, I mean, it said in the solicit that this was going to be a showcase for the artist, and if we judge this book only by that metric, it was a tremendous su- uh, success. Uh, Dodman delivers here big time. I thought uh, the art here was just really, really special, really good stuff. Um, it's just kind of unfortunate that the story it's attached to kind of feels like a throwaway. Um, I don't know that I'd advise anyone to pay full price for this. I hate to say that because it's kind of a dick thing to say, but I I don't know that I could tell someone, yeah, this is worth your five dollars. It's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty, and uh, if you are a longtime X fan, you know, if you if you were here for the Morrison run, if you were here for Nuff Said, it might give you some warm fuzzies, or maybe some Morrison flavored warm fuzzies, but. I think that's probably all I got to say about this issue. Uh, But before I let you go, um, we do have a moderate-sized mailbag today. So let's hop right into that. And we're going to start with Damien. And he's discussing X-Men Fantastic Four number three. He says, I think I might have enjoyed this issue more than you did. A lot of this is probably down to any speed force parallels being lost on me. For financial reasons, I had to greatly reduce my comics reading when I went to university in 1992, so I only read the first six issues of Mark Mark Wade's run and missed the introduction of the Speed Force. By the time I tried Flash again, it was being written by Geoff Johns and felt so changed that I've never gone back to The Flash. And uh, yeah, The Flash has been a favorite of mine for many years now. Um, I've actually got a Chris's on Infinite Earths episode in the works right now to discuss the story where I became... Totally divested in the character of Wally West. Um, that one's uh, it's going to be a might be a long episode. Um, it's in. It's basically all the scripted parts are scripted. Uh, the non-scripted part is I come up with that on that with that on the fly anyway. So it's it's about ready to go. I just got to actually sit down and do it. Uh, personally, I loved both the uh, Wade and John's runs, although they were they were very different. Uh, it wasn't until they brought Wally back post rebirth that it seemed as though DC were making a point of totally and utterly destroying the character while rubbing it in the face of all the Wally fans. Um, I might be projecting, but uh, with everything they've done to Wally since 2016, I don't think I am. Uh, Wally West is a character who I think was better left in limbo, and that's all I'll say about that for now. If you want to hear more of my hot takes on The Flash, Wally West, uh, Keep an eye out for that Chris's on Infinite Earths episode, uh, coming, coming soon to a, uh, to a feed near you. Uh, back to Damien, he says, I quite like the god particle idea as it links to the old official handbook of the Marvel Universe. They always used to try to explain how powers work, and often said their energies come from other dimensions. The one I see referenced most often is Cyclops. They said his eyes were a portal to the dimension of pure force. It's ludicrous, but it's so memorable that it sticks with you. And yeah, I get that. I remember the, uh, I don't remember exactly what they called it in the in the Ohatmoos. Uh, if it was God Particles or just uh, other dimensional powers. I remember that being a... Sort of a hot-button issue back on the Usenet back in the 90s. Um, sort of a bone of contention with a lot of people. Heck, you know, maybe Hickman was one of the people I was arguing with back in the long ago. It <laughs> very well it could be. I... I didn't much care for the idea then I felt like it made the characters less special Even though they do have this ability to tap into You know, other dimensional energy I don't know I like I like it to be a little bit more cut and dry than that I didn't like it then I still kind of don't like it now Um, And again, uh, that might be That might have to do with the speed force And the fatigue I have over it Um, I feel like the speed force Makes the Flash less, less special because you don't, need to ha- you don't need to have the power so much You just need to be able to access it And we're in a DC universe right now Where there's got to be 500 speedsters running around It's, it's ridiculous every, every issue of The Flash, he's fighting an evil speedster Over and over and over again If it's not the rogues, it's an evil speedster It's a bit much And uh, that might be <laughs> where my, my fatigue stems from uh, Damien continues of course, the ending of the original series, Fantastic Four vs. X Men, revealed that Doom was deliberately setting the X Men against the Fantastic Four, so I'm expecting that kind of revelation in the final issue. It wouldn't surprise me if the block on Franklin's power ends up being generated by Doom. That made me wonder. Um, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if that codex that Reed created to, you know, block, you know, uh, Franklin's powers, I wonder if that's responsible for his power depletion, or in some sort of way. And I also wonder if that was supposed to be made like completely obvious during the epilogue and I was just too dense to get it. It's a very good possibility. It's a, That is one of my trademarks. Uh, Damien continues. As for Wolverine killing the person dressed as a Doombot, I think we're going to discover that he is brainwashing the mutants into Doombots. This would explain why the people who asked for help were against the X-Men. And if the Doombots are mutants, they could be resurrected on Krakoa. I'm looking forward to finding out when I read the next issue. And... That's something I was wondering, and I, I might have mentioned it uh, last episode. Does Xavier have backups for them? Yeah, I, I, I can't remember, because uh, yeah, we've been reading a lot of stuff. Does Xavier have backups for every single mutant in the universe, or just those on Krakoa, or those he knows? Um, it might be completely apparent, and it might be perfectly clearly explained, and I just don't remember. So that's where I was wondering. I mean, plus the fact that... Here we are just killing people again And not having uh, not having a whole lot of regret over it uh, We didn't even get Wolverine Dealing with the, the fact that he just killed somebody Whether or not they could be brought back or not uh, It's kind of immaterial he, But he took a life And we don't get any sort of uh, We don't get any kind of moment to digest that And uh, I mean that's That's the field we're playing on now I mean the ball has landed right there uh, Damien continues I was saddened that my revelation about Zarsky inspiring the series and our favorite scene in Hawks No. 1 seemed to knock the wind out of your sails. I think it's a positive. We know that Hickman tends toward big arcs with overarching storylines that stretch for years and years, and he clearly has a plan in place. He knows what he wants to do, but I think it's great to see that he's reacting to and incorporating ideas from other writers. He came up with the villainous old ladies by himself. But in collaboration with Zarsky, he set up a fascinating status quo between the X-Men and Fantastic Four. On that basis, I'd rather see him collaborating than working solo. And uh, now I get where you're coming from. I totally do. But I feel like... You know, you know me. I, I get lost in the scenery. I get lost in uh, wondering how... Or knowing how the sausage is made. Um, I, I feel like a little bit of the magic was gone here. I feel like knowing that this is... This was something of an afterthought uh, to the greater Dawn of X effort. I don't know, kind of cheapens it for me. Um, like, if Zosky never mentioned this, Hickman wouldn't have brought it up himself, right? It wasn't part of Hickman's original X Men manifesto. To swipe another bit from Grant Morrison's run, you know, the manifesto. This wasn't part of it, you know? Um, and again, I get lost in details and the weeds. So it's hard for me to now accept this as like an integral part of the overarching Hickman story. To me, it's just something that Zarski did, that I suppose I'll eventually see if it ever comes back up again. I, I haven't read further, so for all I know, Franklin's leading a team now. I just don't think he is. Uh, and I agree that this is far better than the Golden Girls issue, but at the end of the day, Hickman has plans for the Golden Girls, where... Again, I'm not certain he has any plans or is even allowed to have plans for Franklin. You know, um, I don't know. It's 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 weird. Uh, Damien continues, You also say you wish we could go back to the shooter years where continuity was cohesive and sacros- sacrosanct. Easy for me to say. There's actually a story featuring the same characters that denies that. In Uncanny 145 to 147, there's a story where Doctor Doom and Arcade team up to kidnap the X-Men. The story only works with it being the real Doom, because you see his thoughts about Storm, which couldn't happen with a Doombot. John Byrne had, left, uh, had just left the X-Men just before the storyline, and his first issue of Fantastic Four came out the same month as the end of the X-Men story. As soon as possible, Byrne revealed that it was a Doombot in the X-Men story, solely as a dig at Chris Claremont. It's probably unsurprising that the 1987 Fantastic Four X-Men series started after Byrne went to DC. And yeah, Byrne's kind of a goon, isn't he? <laughs> I, remember, I remember that scene in particular. I think, like, didn't Arcade like actually strike a match on Doom's armor or something? I remember people kind of losing their minds over that. Uh, Byrne was so quick to try and put another creator in their place that it, he didn't even care whether or not he was right or wrong. <laughs> He's such a goon. Oh, man. Uh, Damien wraps up with, There were other cases of writers changing continuity because they didn't like another writer. Bill Mantlo on the Hulk wrote out Doug Mensch's run. I think sometimes we romanticize older comics, but people were frequently changing things for reasons good and bad, and most of the strong continuity was only within smaller groups of titles. And you're right. You're right. Um, I romanticize a lot of things about the past, and uh, I suppose comics continuity is, is one of those things. I just feel like... Uh, Maybe Marvel had a better sense of humor about it back then Like they'd realize what they were doing And again, this is me projecting uh, I see editors today uh, more more interested in sharing pictures of their ice cream sundae That they got at the, uh, at the diner Than actually making sure everything works And if uh, you point that out to them They call you a nerd, or a geek, or a loser <laughs> And I don't get that um, But yeah, uh, I think back then it would be... Uh, Eh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I am romanticizing it, but you know, it's funny keeping it with the Hulk for a minute. Uh, Peter David sort of did the same thing to the Bruce Jones run. I don't think there were any. I don't think there was any sort of uh, bad blood between the two, but uh, but yeah, he pretty much canceled out the whole Bruce Jones run when he made his you know short twenty first century stint return to the book. I love Peter David, and uh, and I'm not sure how much editorial direction he was under here, but. I really also enjoyed that bizarre Fugitive-style run that Bruce Jones was doing. It was very, very different for the Hulk, and uh, for the most part, pretty fun, pretty fun, um, at least the first half of it. But uh, that's, uh, that's Damien's message. Uh, thank you so much for writing in and, uh, and giving all your thoughts on this uh, big Fantastic Four miniseries. Thank you so much. Uh, next, I got a letter from Jesse DeJong. He says, good afternoon, Chris. You have no idea how pleased I am that you're back and doing X-Lapsed. For a while there, I was afraid you were going to leave podcasting because you didn't seem to enjoy it anymore. You sound like you're having the time of your life now, and I'm glad you found that spark again. And thank you. Thank you so much. It's it's true. Uh, I was uh, really close to shutting this down. Um, folks who listened to episode 50 uh, will have heard that story. Um and, uh, I don't want to repeat it here If uh, if anybody wants to hear it or, or, or not I mean, it's there It's the first half hour of episode 50 Um, but yeah, I mean, suffice it to say It's been a really, really rough year Both in the world and also for this humble and seldom visited little corner of the internet Uh, the spark was gone Um, and, uh x lapse has really done a lot to to you know put a put a put a spring in my step i'm trying to think of a non cliche way of saying that but i guess you know <laughs> that's as good as it's going to get uh Jesse continues you've mentioned generation x a few times since you started x Lapse and it really makes me miss that book generation x was the first comic i started collecting issue by issue back in the autumn of 1994. Issue number one is my favorite comic of all time, and it's because of this book that I found you and Reggie. It was the Cosmic Treadmill episode of Generation X number one that pulled me in all those years ago, and that's that's so awesome. Um, that was a boy. What episode was like thirty one? Maybe it was a pretty early in the run. It was a long time back, and it's a funny story because that episode of the treadmill sort of came about by accident. Um, Reggie and I were still relatively new. To being on our own, you know And uh, we were kind of afraid that we'd become pigeonholed As a DC Comics podcast You know, since we did spin out of a DC-centric program And as such, we only covered DC-centric books And it it didn't help that Even when we were not part of the Weird Science show Even when we were on our own More often than not, we were still discussing DC books um, Which really didn't help Help the cause of trying to be like an all-encompassing sort of a program. And we saw, we decided to remedy that to try to break the trend. Uh, we were going to have an event. And uh, we called it Marvel March. And it was for the month of March 2017. And it was four weeks of Marvel only. And uh, we discussed uh, Defenders number one, I believe. We discussed uh, Incredible Hulk 181. Um... I don't remember the other book we discussed But uh, but then we also Our friend Andrew in Belfast Requested that we look at uh, Generation X number one And Generation X Is definitely a favorite of mine as well um, It hit Just the right time I, I was 14 years old Reading a comic about other kids my age You know And it felt cool You know it didn't feel dated Like so many other young hero titles can feel it felt very now. Um, and it also felt a lot like autumn, which Chris Batchelor can draw the hell out of, which <laughs> always makes me happy. Um, I mean, the fall of uh, 1994, I was still living on Long Island, and uh, we still had we still had northeastern autumns. So, you know, golden leaves on the ground and a uh, cool breeze in the air. It was very... When I read an issue of Generation X, it felt like home. And it... Uh, and it always it it always will. Um, and that actually brings me to the only problem that I have with Generation X. I, I think I associate it like so hard with that time in my life that it's almost become intrinsically linked to my youth. You know, it's almost hard to revisit it because uh, I don't know. It makes me like almost too nostalgic. You know, um, I don't know if that makes any sense. It might. It might not. Um, but when I read Generation X, it it's I don't know, it's like a very it's an emotional event, you know It just feel it reminds me of a very special time in my life. and uh, I almost get I almost get lost in the nostalgia rather than getting anything out of the story. Um, back to uh, Jesse He says I spent an entire summer once Going through and placing All the Generation X appearances In a workable chronological order Of about 140 appearances In their own book and others That's how much I love that book And that sounds awesome I'd love to see it And I wonder Did you uh, did you fit in the Gen, Gen 13 crossovers? Did you fit what, what other things did they do? The underground The Generation X underground That, uh, that there is an episode On this channel about I don't know if you if you fit that one in there. I don't even know if you can fit that one in there. <laughs> that one seems very very weird. Um, there's also the "Yes, Jubilee, there is a Santa Claus," I think. So I wonder where you fit those in there. I'll have to take a look at that if uh, if you'll if you'll let me. Um, Jesse continues. Now a complaint: Marvel has never had a reunion title or even a subplot for the students of Generation X. The closest they ever came was in the unreadable and horribly illustrated Generation X Volume 2. For an issue or two, Husk, Jubilee, and Chamber faced down against m Most of the focus was on the new, unlikable cast and very little on the four originals. That is all we've gotten in over 20 years since the series ended. How many times has New Mutants, Excalibur, the Giant-sized team, or even Alpha Flight been reunited? With the constant love I hear of creators adoring this book, why has there not been a reunion? And you're right, you're right. Um, I tell you what it absolutely broke my heart when I dumped generation X Volume Two uh, for the few months that it list that it lasted i I couldn't believe I was living in a world where there was a generation book generation X book on the stands, and I wasn't buying it. <laughs> um, it's actually one of the leading factors in my walking away from All things X back in two thousand sixteen. I was so disappointed by it. Um, ugh, not great. Um, and you're totally right about the other teams getting reunion after reunion, um, and yet no proper Generation X team up. I mean, just give us a one-off issue of the current volume of New Mutants and let the Gen X kids go out for burgers or something, right? I mean, they had time to send us to the farm for three issues. They they ought to have time for something like this. Uh, Jesse continues. I've enjoyed having Chamber and Mondo and New Mutants, my favorite title in this reboot, Jubilee and Excalibur, Husk and Fallen Angels, the worst book in the new reboot, and Sync and M showing up in the X-Men books. Skin has popped up in the background once or twice, but I want a Gen X title-slash-story with the original team. They're drawn in one of the habitats, so that what is what is the holdup, and who even lives in there, since everyone is in other teams? And that's true. Um, they do have their own little dome in the sextant, uh, hopefully at some point, maybe they let us see what's inside, right? <laughs> let us see who sleeps where, or who's, who even lives there in the first place. It, God help me if it's I, boy. Um, Jesse continues. I know you don't have any say in what books are produced, but I wanted to vent my frustration to another Generation X fan. I'm always there for that. I'm always a shoulder for that, and a sounding board. Uh, Jesse continues. More on topic, here are my reviews of the X title so far. X-Men seems like each issue needs an end. It's like they're starting a story and forget to finish it every month. I think Krakoa is somehow manipulating its mutant population, and that's why they act kind of strange at times. Maybe Kitty, yes Kitty, not Kate, is somehow immune to its effects, so it doesn't want her there. And to bust out an old X-lapsed chestnut, I I, I wonder if or when that... Other shoe was going to drop Pertaining to Krakoa's potential influence On the mutants um, That's something that a lot of folks have been Wondering about, myself included I, I think it's a way that we can kind of Lampshade a weird behavior It's like, well I wonder how much of that behavior Is them and how much behavior is What Krakoa wants it to be Or what the professor wants it to be It's There's definitely some manipulation It's just a, a matter of who and what And when we find out But as for X-Men It really does feel like we're getting a lot of concepts being introduced Without much in the way of follow-up I'm guessing, I mean, gotta have faith That there is, or there will be, a method to this madness Uh, But as a month-to-month, or in my case, a week-to-week reading project It's not very satisfying Um, Just We're getting these intros, and they're just left to hang there, right? Um, I don't know uh, Jesse continues Excalibur reads to me like it's Excalibur I always found that title to be a little uh, To be a bore And you pronounce A perfectly So we get another vote of confidence for Nick From Family Ties, that's a good thing uh, He continues uh, New Mutants, I love the space adventure And I feel like it's the strongest in its storytelling And I agree uh, when, when New Mutants is telling the non-farm story It's hard for most of the books to compete Except for the one that we're about to discuss here Jesse says, Marauders feels like it wants to do something great. I just want more answers to questions being brought up. At least you can follow the story in a trade format. And Marauders feels really good to me, too. Um, I often say my rankings often come down to Marauders and New Mutants. And number one is usually whichever one of those two I thought I most recently thought about. So if I'm thinking about New, new Mutants, that's number one. If I'm thinking about Marauders, that's number one. Um, <laughs> Jesse says... Fallen Angels was a push to get through. I would finish the book and not know what I just read. It was bad. And I tell you guys what, I feel almost justified in my dislike for this book. Um, uh, you know me by now, anytime I have an opinion that might be considered in any way controversial, I'll just assume that I'm I'm wrong. You know, if if in lieu of ruffling feathers, I just assume that I'm wrong. However, I've yet to hear from a single person who's actually said anything positive about Fallen Angels. I don't know if they just don't want to be drowned out, or if, uh, or if they just don't exist. <laughs> I don't know. I would definitely love to hear from someone who liked Fallen Angels. I won't, I won't poo-poo your opinion at all. Uh, I think there's something for everybody in every book. Um, if you do like Fallen Angels, please reach out and, uh, and and talk to me about it. I'd love to hear uh, your thoughts. Uh, Jesse continues, X-Force, is there an X-Force book? Because I don't remember it, and I know I have read it. <laughs> and yes, there is an X-Force book. Um, it's just outside the first issue. It's not terribly memorable. Um, outside of how, uh, I, I mean, I make the joke about it being X-Forced. Because the dialogue is pretty cringy, but that's the only thing I can really remember about it, too. Uh, he continues, uh, X-Men Plus Fantastic Four was a fun read, and I'm enjoying hearing your reviews. And Thank you. I, uh, I had a good time with it, despite some of my complaints about uh, what I perceived as being uneven uh, storytelling, uneven pacing. Um, overall, though, I did enjoy it. I thought it was a, a, a nice... A nice break from the everyday, from the you know the routine that we have here on the show. It was nice to, uh, it was nice to leave the X office for a minute, you know, and still have a have a story that similar in flavor but maybe different in tone, you know. Uh, Jesse continues without giving things away. Wolverine, X Factor, and Hellions are pretty good. X Factor and Hellions are actually really good. X Men: Colon Empire was a waste that went nowhere. I have yet to enjoy a giant-sized book, but still have a few to go. And, uh, yeah, I've heard plenty of good things to this point about X-Factor and Hellions both. Uh, and I'm looking forward to both. I haven't heard a ton about Wolverine or Cable yet. Um, those are... Uh, I mean, you, you said Wolverine's pretty good, but I haven't heard anybody say anything about Cable. It's, all, it's like almost like I think I dreamt it, but I'm looking at it right now in, in the long box, or the short box. So I know it exists. <laughs> I just don't know if anybody's read it. Empire, that might be the book I'm least looking forward to. Uh, and that has nothing to do with whoever is the creative team on it. I think it's Hickman and maybe Ed Brisson who did the writing on it. I just have zero interest in getting reinvested in the greater Marvel universe. Um, as far as I'm concerned, Marvel could like just as soon sell the X-Men to IDW or Boom or something at this point. I don't need to try and navigate the Marvel movie characters. <laughs> don't care. I figure for completion's sake, Empire will be worth covering, but I'm not expecting much. And I mean, how much could the X-Men do in a story that's not really about them in the first place? We're going to get an, an aside that people who are reading the Empire Prime series could take or leave, right? I mean, it's a side story to the greater story, so... I would... Hazard to guess that Like 50% of the people who are reading Empire Are not picking up Empire X-Men Could be wrong Who knows Uh, Jesse wraps up with I've been an X-Men fan for 27 years And have collected and read everything Even remotely X-Related since then and even before I never left comics And even pushed myself through some of the extreme garbage That has come out I hope you continue to enjoy your time reading And I can't wait to hear how you will enjoy Or will not enjoy the Wave 2 books well, until Banshee and Emma get married make mine X lapsed thank you so much Jesse that uh, that made my day uh, you know I've, I got a few messages today that really made my day um, that will be we'll be covering in a, in a minute here but uh, thank you for uh, for sending such a, a uh, such a well thought out message um, I love getting stuff like that I love hearing where people come from and uh, where they are now uh, I it's funny I, I feel kind of like a traitor in the fact that I have walked away away a few times you know you hear the stories and I want to say most people who read comics as adults and had read them as children left for a minute right um, that's why it's so unique and novel when someone says they didn't you know you'll hear stories from someone who say you know even though I even though girls entered my life I never left comics you know and that's to me a rarity Granted, my field of references is, is, you know, (laughs) is anecdotal and at best. But uh, I feel kind of like a heel for having walked away. I shouldn't have. And I regret it. I regret Even though I wasn't digging it. And even though sticking around with something I don't like kind of makes me part of the problem. Because nothing's going to get fixed. I still feel bad about leaving the way I did and when I did. Um... Because I did leave about six months into the Blue and Gold stuff, and uh, actually just this past weekend I finished uh, tracking down every single issue from Gold and and Blue. I um, finally got that you know that monkey off my back, and don't have to worry about having to track those down again. I just hope one of these days I'll be able to read it. I'm um, still missing a couple issues of Red and a couple issues of of Black, but. Uh, Blue and gold, the biggies, I got them. So, (laughs) there's that. Uh, Thank you so much, uh, Jesse, for the message. Uh, Really brightened my day. Uh, We have another message here that brightened my day from Ed Moore. This is regarding episode 50. He says, X-Lapse number 50 was solid. Anytime we put ourselves out there, it's scary. You for sure created something you wanted and needed. That's what being a maker is all about. Bravo. Keep it up. Thank you, Ed. That means a lot to me. Uh, Ed is going to be uh, partnering with me on a project in the not-so-distant future. We just gotta coordinate, and uh, it'll be amazing. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> Ed also had some comments about Major X-Lapsed. He said, you most certainly need to continue with Major X-Lapsed coverage. Rob Liefeld deserves your thoughts. <laughs> Thank you, because that one, Major X-Lapsed, is... a uh, I don't know, I kind of regretted it <laughs> When I did it I don't know, I felt like uh, I don't know I don't know why I regretted it I think I was expecting more from it Than, than what I got And uh, made me retroactively regret it But uh, to Ed's first point About um, putting things out You know, putting things out there It's it's a scary thing And um, it is Uh Anytime there's a vulnerability there, right? You know, I'm—I've said it till it's become, you know, a meme here. But it's like I'm sitting in a room by myself, talking into a microphone about whatever's on my mind, and uh, that opens you up. You know, you don't know—you don't know where the discussion is going to go all the time. I do work from bullet points, but it's not quite as scripted as some of uh, the treadmill stuff that I uh, that I did. And uh, tangents just happen. And personal anecdotes just happen. So you really don't know where you're going to be as you're doing it. And uh, with episode 50, um, I broke you know, my ex-lapsed rule, and I, and I made it about me for uh, for the first part of that, just to, I don't know, give a little bit of context and, uh, and a frame of reference as to why episode 50 was such a big deal for me personally. And since I recorded that, which was a few days ago now... Um, Every every couple of hours when I would think about it I would have a thought to not publish it I'd have a thought to go on And, uh, you know, unschedule it To drop when it did Uh Because I just thought I don't know, I second guess and third guess and fourth guess everything I do And I thought maybe it was just the wrong thing to do And part of me thought that I was making a, a horrible tragedy about me You know, um Which in a way I did And, uh it's just that i've talked about that tragedy a lot from the point of view that isn't about me and i thought it would uh add again add a little bit of context to do that discussion from my point of view regarding only the the creative aspects of it not not all the emotional stuff as i mean that's you don't need to hear me crying into a microphone that's that is on this channel if you're interested in hearing it but you don't need to hear that today <laughs> but uh yeah, I was uh, I second-guessed that episode a lot. And uh, I definitely had a mind to pull it down, cut off the first half hour of it, and then re-upload it. Uh, but I didn't. I didn't, because... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, but yeah, there is a vulnerability there. And, uh, and that was almost poetic in a way, because I didn't have to worry about the vulnerability when when Reggie was doing... The, uh, the promotion and Reggie was doing the editing and because I knew he would take care of me, and he would take care of the show. So, when when it comes down to me, and it's uh, and it's something that I'm second and third guessing. It's it's hard to, it's hard to bounce ideas off myself. You know what I mean? Not sure if that makes any sense or if I'm just talking to hear myself talk at this point. But uh, but thank you so much, Ed. Thank you very very much. Uh, next, Jody Yurden. Uh This is regarding episode 50. He said, I just wanted to drop you a line and thank you for sharing your heart on episode 50 today. It's been a rotten year, but know that you bring a lot of joy to people's lives through what you do. Congratulations. And thank you, Jody. Another, another message that just made my day. Um, another thing that I say on... I'm not sure if I've ever said it on this show, but I know I've said it on other shows to the point where... It's you know if you if you pull the string on my back this might be one of the one of my catchphrases but uh, creating content in whatever form you do it uh, video audio text um, if if you're a content creator and you're listening to this you know that it can be a very lonely endeavor regardless of whether or not you have a partner in it it's still kind of lonely you know because again you're you're just talking and. Um, there's not, there's no guarantee of uh, if you build it, they will come when you do this Because if that were the case, I mean, people would only be listening to podcasts 24 hours a day, 7 days a week Because there's a lot of them out there <laughs> We have a glut So it's uh, not a matter of if you build it, they will come But I sometimes get lost in my head here and don't realize that people do listen Because uh, people are busy People are busy and uh, don't always have the opportunity or the or the incentive to reach out and uh, and give an attaboy or just say hey I listened. You just have to know, you know, in your rational mind that there are people listening. And uh, after episode fifty, um, the support that uh, this show and just me in general that I've gotten has been uh, ah, yeah, it sounds cliche to say overwhelming. But uh, I've been in a pretty... Uh, <laughs> I haven't been in a 100% good place as a content creator over the past couple of weeks. So hearing that uh, these shows do make a difference or, or just a nice diversion to pass the time, that that means a lot to me. That really does mean a lot to me. And it uh, it's perfect timing. <laughs> because for a little while there I thought... That maybe this was maybe I was balking up the wrong tree, but uh but thank you so so much, Jody. Uh, we're gonna wrap up with a a tweet from Mark Yeager. And this is also about episode fifty. He replied to to my announcement of the episode, and he says, No spoilers, so I'll just say that I would take a special episode like this every day. And uh thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, I've missed doing the more uh, Personal from the heart sort of thing It had been It's been probably Two and a half months since the last Chris's on Infinite Earths came out Where, you know, that's my emotional Shiatsu massage, so it's been a little while Since I've done something like that And uh, I wouldn't mind doing More of them, and you never know (laughs) You never know, I do have that uh, I do have a few episodes in the works At the moment, so You never know, Um, but thank you For that, because Again, that's more validation because I was afraid that this would be a huge turnoff to uh, to anybody listening, and uh, to find out that that it wasn't uh, means means a lot to me. To get that confirmation really means a lot. So it means a lot to me that you reached out to say that, Mark. Uh, thank you so much. But. Uh, I think that's where we'll leave it today. If uh, anybody would like to get a hold of me, you could do so on Twitter at Ace Comics or via the old-fashioned email at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. I think in my excitement during episode 50, I forgot to go through my, my contact in the links, which uh, I don't do terribly often. I guess I was just over overcome by the, uh, the celebration. But... Uh, you can find show notes for this program at chrissoninfiniteearths.com There's also xlapsed.chrissoninfiniteearths.com Hopefully when I actually get it uh, together and redesign the site So it looks better than, you know, a blog circa 2004 Maybe, <laughs> maybe it'll be a little bit more clear how to find everything But uh, everything's there I, Of that I can assure you It's just whether or not you can find it is the problem um, you could find the Facebook group at 90s X-Men on on Facebook where just earlier today I posted a piece from an issue of Marvel Age magazine about uh, Pride of the X-Men, the, the uh, you know the old X-Men cartoon special that I've never seen. I've actually never seen it. So you never know maybe one one Sunday there'll be a, uh, an episode of Pride of the X lapsed. Eh, maybe, maybe not. we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've always wanted to see it. I just never have. Um, and uh, I don't know why I never have. I just just haven't. Um, you can find the audio archives at chrisandreggie.podbean.com Lots of uh, sound there for your ears if you'd like it. But I think that's where we'll leave it. And uh, so much for this being a short episode. I apologize for taking up so much of your time today. We're about to break an hour. Uh, well, actually, after theme music, we did break an hour. So... There's another hour in the books, but uh, thank you all so so much for uh, for sharing your time with me today and every day, and also for everyone who wrote in uh, that that made me smile broader than uh, I've smiled in a in a while as it pertains to this uh, to this hobby and this project. So thank you all so much. Know that everything you guys say um, uh, it touches me deep, <laughs> as as perverted as that might have sounded. Um, it really does affect me. I, I really appreciate it. So thank you all so much uh, for, uh, for taking the time out of your day to reach out to me. But uh, I think that's where we will leave it. Uh, so until next time, as always, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya.